for those in the church family, as you know, I'm not Pastor Greg. Though we sometimes are mistaken for each other because we sometimes look very similar. Um, But uh, be praying for Pastor Greg and Kathy as they're going to be driving home uh, today from up north. Um, Pastor Greg's brother passed away on Monday. Um, And so he went up there to um, be a part of the passing of life celebration, as it were. Um, We know that he loves teaching and being here, and so, uh, you know, we miss him, and and so um, that's why you got me. (laughs) So why don't we turn in our Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. The good thing about this, because I know the joke is that I go long, but you're at home, most of you, so you can pause, you can go to the bathroom, you can get snacks, um... You can pause again. You can, I mean, this is great. So I can go on really forever because there's only seven people in here. So we're we're meeting the guidelines of not only social distancing, but of the number of people that are able to be gathered together. So, um, so this is great. So sit back, get your listening ears on, and I'm sure most of you have your comfy clothes on as well, and I'm jealous of that. Um, but uh, let's... Let's look at the word. So Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to give you a background first because I think it's always important to do the background so we know the context, the writer, and all those things that bring life to it, bring life to what we're reading. Because a lot of the verses that we'll get to more toward the second half of the message, you you've know these things. We've heard them in a hymn. We've, we're, we're very aware of, of that scripture. <clears throat> but to understand the, the background and the, the, the why I think is very important. And I think this is very applicable to to what we're going through right now um, as a nation. Um, And so um, for whatever reason, the Lord brought this to mind. And so this is what we're going to be um, soaking in this morning. So in the first verse, we get to see a a dramatic uh, line here. I'm just going to read the first line here. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction. I mean, this is going to be a melancholy of melancholy messages um, if I ever heard from an intro. But why? So let's look at the the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. He wrote the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. Um, And this is, Lamentations means to lament, to cry over, to, you know, he is in anguish over what is happening now to um, the nation. Um, So the background of Jeremiah, he was one of God's prophets who served under five kings of Judah. So he served under Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. If you remember, goodness, I don't remember how many Wednesday nights ago, we went through um, the story of Josiah in Second Kings 22 and 23, where the nation had gotten so far away from um, the, the law of God and, and living for God that when they found the scrolls, they were... They were, it was almost like a, a, a surprise party. You know, Josiah said, let's, let's listen to the scroll. Let's watch the scroll. Let's read through the scroll and see what God has for us. And because of that, because of that um, ignition of reading the word of God, Josiah cleaned house. And we know that he, he removed all the temples, uh, idols, and the things that desecrated God's house. Um, he, and just, it's good to go back through it again. If you go through second Kings and it's also in second Chronicles 34, 35, but 
he cleaned house, literally. I mean, he killed the prophets that were prophesying in, in, in the name of these false gods. He tore up graves and burnt the ashes. I mean, he just, he did what should be done. You know, Jesus talks about this. You know, if our eye causes us to sin, pluck it out. I mean, we're so casual and we're so, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, and I'm, I'm really speaking this to myself, but we are so casual with the things of God that we don't take that seriously, you know? Well, Netflix is okay. I just won't watch certain things or I'll just fast forward. There's a lot of garbage on there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat with you guys. I mean, I'm, I love Netflix and I love the availability of that. But, and I'm not here to focus on Netflix, but that just came to my mind. But what dedication do we have to, to you know, if our arm causes us to sin, to cut it off and beat ourselves over the head with it? I think that was a Greek translation of that scripture. Um, but Josiah took that and he did what was needed, what was necessary to cleanse the temple, to cleanse the the, the walk of each of, of himself. You know, this was not only for the nation, but Josiah was doing this for himself to be pleasing to the Lord. The sad part of that is after Josiah died, his son took over and um, Jehoiakim was not anything like Josiah. Um, Jehoiakim despised the word of God, um, even cutting up the scrolls. And he, as the scrolls were being read, he was cutting them, cutting them up and throwing them into the fire. I mean, that, that shows a, 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 a hatred for what's being said. And you know, the, the, the sad part is we see that today in a lot of ways. When you try to talk to somebody about the Lord, and they're so, um, they are so, uh, I can't even think of the word, but I mean, they're so against the things of God because it goes against what they want to do. You know, it's, we see it sometimes even in church that people don't desire holiness. They don't desire the things of God. They just desire to know a God that will allow them to do the things that aren't so bad that they want to do. But the sad part of that is that that really hinders our relationship with the Lord. You know, that really is kind of like if you're a glasses wearer, you know, I'm not, but I've worn sunglasses this time when you have smudges on your glasses. I can't imagine for a glasses wearer, that would probably be the most annoying thing. I'd probably be cleaning my glasses all the time um, because of that. But, but it, it alters your vision. It alters your, your sight. And so all these things that we allow in, and again, this is not to be religious. This is not to be um, controlling. This is not to, to um, you know, not allow us to have fun. This is for us to be able to come into close fellowship with the living God. You know, and so... Um, to be, to be one, to be cutting up the scriptures and throwing it into the fire. We also saw that actually in uh, World War II. Um, the Nazis did that. They had book burnings and, um, you know. So this is not anything uh, new by any stretch of the imagination. And we see some of that still today, um, even if it's not in a uh, literal sense. But we see that many times because of um, people's just lack of, respect and, and honor for the Lord and for the word. Um, but we see this in Jeremiah 36, 29 through 31. It says, um, and the Lord's saying, and you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore says Thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him 
his family, and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. So, that's pretty intense. I mean, the, the, you know, if you know the word of God, if, if you read through Isaiah, which was several hundred years prior to this, you know, God is also warning them. I mean, he's, he's um, warning them, but expressing his love and his grace and his mercy toward them if they would just turn. You know, I, I sometimes I think about it with my sons, you know. Um, I, I try to put my, myself in the position of, of God having children in that sense of if my children turned away from me the way that the children of Israel and the way that we do turn away from the Father and how painful that would be, um, especially when you desire fellowship. You know, the Lord desires fellowship. I mean, does that, does that register? I think for some of us who've, who've grown up in faith and have, have been in it for a long time, I think we can easily lose touch with how amazing that is. That God chased each one of us down and desires to have fellowship with us. Like that to me, I know I, I'm a broken record that I say that blows my mind, but that blows my mind. And I have to continually say that because otherwise I'll become callous to it. And I'll, then I'll go into his presence in a way that is common. We're not to go in the Lord's presence as a, in a common way. Yes, we have grace. Yes, we have that mercy. Yes, we can have fellowship with him. But there needs to be a level of awe and respect and honor that I think is lacking in a lot of ways uh, in our culture and in my own life sometimes. Sometimes I find myself casually going to the Lord's presence and then justifying it, you know. Um, I was never one to be like, yeah, me and Jesus are buds. You know, he's my friend. That was never one of my, I just never got into that. Um, <laughs> and I never, I always had a hard time singing the songs too about being friends with God. Not that it's wrong, but that's just my, my issue. I'm working out in counseling, so just pray for me. Um, so that was Jehoiakim. Jehoiachin was Jehoiakim's son who followed in his father's footsteps and only reigned for three months and a week. So that didn't last very long. Um, and basically, uh, he was the, the last one that was uh, in ruling when Nebuchadnezzar took them off to Babylon, to captivity. So something really interesting too, and this is kind of a side note, but it's, I think it's important if you're... I'm, you know, a history guy. I love history. I love how things are connected. So it's very interesting with Jehoiachin, who's also known as Kaniah, who is also known as Jeconiah. So when we move to the New Testament, we see the genealogies of Christ. There's one in Matthew, and that's actually through Joseph, his father. Um, And then there's one in Luke 3, I believe, that goes through Mary, his mom. So we know that... um, he was born of a virgin, so it's more Joseph is a stepfather. But in the legal structure of society, you know, it, it goes off of the father and the mother, what their lineage is. So, so Joseph's genealogy in Matthew goes through David and goes through Kaniah, Jeconiah, or Jehoiachin. So what's interesting about that is that with that lineage, Jesus would only have a legal right to be the Messiah. But as we read in Jeremiah, God said, there will not be anybody who sits on the throne any longer because of your actions. There will no longer be any of your descendants who sit on the throne. 
in Mary's genealogy, it goes through David, but it goes through a different son. So there's no breakage there. There's no curse. Therefore, Jesus not only has the legal right through both of his parents, but then he also has the spiritual right to be the Messiah because of his genealogy and and through his mother, Mary. So a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think that's very interesting. And it's, you know, that's some of the things that, again, solidifies why we believe what we believe and why we, you know, we follow a risen Christ, you know. Because some people might say, well, why are there two different genealogies? Because in Luke, it says it, the, um, Luke 3, uh, I don't have it written here in my notes, but the way it's worded, it says, uh, being the son of Joseph. But knowing the lineage of that, that it's actually through the mom. They're not going to, they don't mention the women because of the social status of the women in there. Um, but it's, they're clearly two different genealogies. And so that's just interesting. You see something that happens in the Old Testament and then connection of it as we see in the New Testament. Not only just connection in terms of logistics, but another reason why Jesus is rightfully the Messiah. So uh, that's pretty cool. Anyway, back to Jeremiah. Um, so his ministry lasted for around 40 years. Um, and so his contemporaries were, and I always think it's interesting because when you read, you know, the other, the books of the prophets to see who was speaking at the same time, but he spoke at the same time as Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Daniel, and Ezekiel. So in chapter one of Jeremiah, and I know this is kind of a lengthy background, but I think this is all important stuff. So we get a real good picture of Jeremiah and, and what we are going to be reading in the next hour or two. Um, JK. Uh, So in Jeremiah chapter one, God says in verse five, he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. In verse seven, he says, for you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have uh, this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, but to build up and to plant. So this is what God has uh, ordained Jeremiah to do. This is the conversation between God and Jeremiah for him to go into this life of ministry. And if you know about Jeremiah... Um, he lived a very solitary life. He lived a life of, he's also known as the, the weeping prophet um, because he is, I can't imagine, you know, I read some of Jeremiah's stuff and I, you read some of the Psalms and you see a lot of similarities between David and Jeremiah. And, um, you know, I, I throw around the word melancholy a lot um, because I am melancholy, <laughs> which um, it's not always connected with depression, side note again. But anyway, that's, but it's thinkers and, and oftentimes are artistic and so on and so forth. Um, and so, you know, reading through some of these things and, and what Jeremiah has to go through in a solitary way, um, I think is so difficult. I mean, David, David was surrounded by many. Um, we know his sins, but he had, um, you know, wives and children and, and those that he um, supported him because he was king, whether they wanted to or not. Um, David had that army and support around him where Jeremiah was being the voice of God to a people who did not want to listen. Um, you know, he calls himself at one point the man of sorrows. I mean, this is, this is a tough life. Now, the interesting thing is you wonder how many people today, I, I, guess, I guess the question is, as we make this personal because I always want to make it personal 
because I want to walk out of here with something. You know, that's the challenge to me, is making this personal. Is If God said to me, Bill, I want to, I want to make you a prophet for this generation, for, for what's happening in this world today. And listen, I, I'm intimate with you. I formed you. I ordained you. I, I've, I have a word specifically for you. I think most of you are like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome, awesome. But you're going to be rejected. You're going to be alone. You're going to be persecuted. I don't know how many people today would, would take that call. And that's, again, that's not a judgment. I don't know if I would. You know, we, we've, it's, we've gotten used to being um, comfortable. I, don't, I, think, I think today in this day and age, being comfortable, anything other than that is a curse, is a curse word, you know? I mean, it's almost like we're trying to attain comfort, whether it's financial, whether it's um, sustenance with food, whether it's just getting along with everybody and, you know, um, being politically correct and all those kinds of things. But is that maybe what happened to our nation that we just got comfortable or we got quieted or we got calloused or whatever it is that happened that we got quiet and we're not standing up any longer for the things that are right? What's sad is you see the people on street corners. I went to a concert years ago. I'm not going to say who the band was because um, I want you to listen to the rest of my message without judging me. But, um, and we were crossing into the stadium. Um, this was in Philly. And on the corner were people with Bible verses and bullhorns screaming and yelling at people, saying that everybody was going to hell. We're going to this concert and we're going to hell. And I just stood there and the light was red for the longest time. Like literally it was like, I can't believe how long. And I'm getting more and more angry. I was, I was so, I was burning. I'm like, this is not the God of the Bible. Here's the thing. Their message might've been correct in many ways, but the spirit behind it was not. The Lord tells us to speak the truth in love. And there was a boldness, whether it was an ignorant boldness, but there was a boldness there that they had, that they were speaking truth. And some of it was truth, and some of it was scripture that was um, in context. But their spirit was so evil. I mean, there was, they weren't part of our group, but they were you know, saying stuff to women about their, the way they were dressing and calling them names that it just wasn't appropriate. Um, but... In a way, they isolate themselves. And again, this is not of God, but I'm looking at that. I'm saying, could I be one of those people and yet with the right spirit and the love of God? Would I stand on a street corner and be preaching the good news that we know of God? There's truth with it. We have to give the the just part of it, right? There is sin, death, hell. This is all part of the gospel. We have to talk about these things because otherwise we won't know why we need a savior and why we have hope in him. These things are important. You know, um, when everything was getting shut down, I was still working in downtown Greenville. And um, the uh, walking down the street, I, I tried to do once a day, there was a man, a, a preacher, a pastor in the square. I forget what it's called, that square, but it's where Bank of America building is and um, some of the other, you know, it's just that where they put the Christmas tree and all that. And there was a preacher and he had his Bible and he was pleading. He was, he was, being loud, I don't want to say yelling because there was negative connotations of that, but he was loudly pleading with people to turn to God. 
And as I was walking, I was praying for him. And I was like, I, his spirit was coming through. He had a heart for people. He wasn't trying to be religious. He wasn't trying to be right. He had a heart for people. And what's sad is, is that how the media and TV portray somebody like that. You know, you see those apocalyptic movies where it's all dark and dusty and you've got that preacher wagging his finger and, you know, spouting out Bible verses. And I thought, it's a shame that how that's been portrayed as somebody who's preaching the truth. You know, the guy on the corner with the sandwich board, you know, the end is near, you know, repent. But they're always made to look like wackos and, and people who are, are strange. And yet, that man, I, I was walking on this side of the street, that's why I'm going over there. Um, but uh, I'm a visualist. But um, he was preaching the word of God and he was pre- tre- preaching truth from a spirit of love. It just came out. Like, there, I didn't even question it. I'm a very cynical guy, if you know me. Um, and I question a lot of things and um, my cynicism is, is a downfall and I, I'm trying to be better about that. Um, but I'm always, I'm always leery about people's motives. Um, but you could tell the spirit that came from this person was love, love for people to know the truth and the word of God. Um, but Jeremiah was ordained and preordained to be solitary in this, um, in his ministry. Um, and he's in glory now, so we don't have to feel bad. But as I was reading through some of this, I was like, wow, like I was just in, feeling like I was in his sandals, in his tunic, you know, and just... That alone was uncomfortable. But, you know, just like thinking of what he was seeing. He went from seeing Josiah, King Josiah, who, who, who cleansed the temple and cleansed the nation and living rightly and doing what was right in the eyes of God to go to such pure evil um, was heartbreaking. And knowing what God had said ahead of time, if this doesn't change, this is going to come to destruction. Um. And that's what Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was there to announce the Jerusalem's coming destruction because they broke their covenant with God. They served other gods, Baals. They worshipped them. They did disgusting acts of worship in areas that were consecrated to God, sanctified by God. Um, in Jeremiah twelve <clears throat> ten through 13, he says, Many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. The plunderers have come on all the desolate heights in the wilderness. For the sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land to the other end of the land. No flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat, but reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but do not profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. So because of the turning away, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come and to take them into captivity. Um, and this is what we see, the, the, the idea, the economy of sowing and reaping. Um, this is not something that's, that's new and it's spoken of throughout the Bible. Um, and sadly, the children of Israel were reaping what they've sown. I know we can all think about whether it's in a big way or small way, and I've, I've given my testimony several times, so I won't go back and belabor that. But, um, you know, in many ways, I 
reaped what I had sown, sadly. And the Lord was patient um, and to the point where it brought a level of destruction. Um, and we see that, you know, that this is a God of love. You know, so many people say, well, how can a God of love send people to hell? No, he's pleading. He's pleading for you to turn to him so you don't go to hell. You know, it's almost, it's, it's, it's silly and it's ignorant for someone, people say that. Um, but it's still a heart of, of one that God loves and is chasing down, you know? Um, and so the idea of, you know, God is patient. He is loving, but he's also a just God and there will be consequences for our behavior. Um, we see this in Job 4, verse 8. He says, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Proverbs 22, 8 says, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. And Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Interesting, too, about this is that with Jeremiah, you know, uh, not that he was perfect, but he he is reaping what the nation has sown as well. Um, so let's get into let's get into the text um, and listen to the as now that we know this, we think about Jeremiah. Now, hopefully the 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 black and, and white words will be a little more colorful, and a little more um depth to them as we read through this. So Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. You know, stopping there real quick. And and I'm not going to dissect all this, even though we could. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this. um, But, you know, the interesting part here is that, you know, I think many of us can relate to the things we're reading here, whether it's something that you've been through in the past and it takes you back to that, or maybe something you're going through right now, um, especially in this time of, of what we're living through. Um, it's very easy to feel desperate um, <clears throat> and that kind of anguish. And so, you know, you look at this and you're saying, you know, he says that, you know, he cries and, and shouts and even his prayers are, are shut out, you know. Looking at those things, and we want to make sure as we go on, as we do that self-examination, is there anything in our lives that is prohibiting our prayers from being heard? Because God will not hear all of our prayers. I think that's the foolish thing that, um, that we think is that, well, he's a God of love. He hears it all. And he, there's, there's prayers that God doesn't listen to. Why? If we're living in sin, um, we're living in, with unforgiveness, um, even in, uh, you know, and. In the New Testament, the Lord says, if we men are not living with their wives with understanding, your prayers will be hindered. I mean, these are, these are things that the Bible tells us that our prayers will not be heard. They will be hindered if these things are happening. 
you know, and that's, that is important for us to know. And especially in the self-examination of, okay, what in my life would be hindering my prayers to God? What would make it where my, my prayers are shut out? Now, be reminded here, Jeremiah is saying this is what he feels like. This is what he feels like. God is hearing the prayers of Jeremiah. And at this point, I would, I would say loosely that he might be the only prayers that are being lifted up to God at this point um, in the nation. Who knows? Um, but as us as believers, I would think as we want to, um, we would want to cleanse the temples of our lives. If we want to, you know, remove the planks in our eyes, then we would want to also look and see what would be hindering our prayers. You know, we've talked about it before, and I, I, I spoke on that before about that unforgiveness. What God tells us about unforgiveness, it's, it's, it's deadly to the soul and to the spirit and to fellowship, you know? So, I mean, my challenge right now to you guys, just as a quick snippet, you've got unforgiveness in your life towards somebody at this moment. I don't care what they've done or who they are, what they've done. They deserve your forgiveness because you didn't deserve God's forgiveness. I say that as an encouragement because I've got to go through handfuls of people to forgive who have never asked for forgiveness. I don't say that in a haughty way or any kind of self-righteous way. It was a, it was a, um, it was a journey and it was difficult. But seek God on those things. Even if your heart doesn't want to do it. Lord, I know I, I don't want to forgive so-and-so because of what they've done. You don't know what they've done, Bill. I don't know. I do know people who have gone through horrific abuse. Physical, emotional, sexual. And have been able to forgive people. So I would say, I, I don't... Um, I don't dismiss or disqualify or invalidate anybody's hurt and reason for why they currently have unforgiveness. But what I can tell you that if you are a born-again believer who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, then bring it before him. Lord, I don't want to forgive so-and-so. Help me to do that. Keep making that your prayer because he'll do that. He'll soften your heart. No one, for, he, no one deserves forgiveness. No one does Um, because I'm sure that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, but neither did we. You didn't. I didn't. Uh, I would have zapped me long ago, (laughs) but thankfully God is not a zapper. Um, So anyway, let's continue on verse nine. Again, as, as Jeremiah is pouring out, he says, he has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I've become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I've forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. So we see as Jeremiah is pouring out here and looking at his life we could say this is a righteous man 
Why would, what, what is the justice in this man having to go through this? Um, and you know, God is just. Um, you know, that is the idea of the, the sowing and reaping, you know. The justice of God has to be executed. You know, he pleads with us and he pleaded with his children to turn, to come back to him, to give up the, the idolatry that was infecting them. And it's interesting here that, you know, we've talked about this before, but our sin does not just affect us, but affects those around us. You know, um, you see that in, in many ways, whether it's in your immediate family, the co-workers, or even in a church. Um, you know, you've, we've, we've seen in history where um, pastors, and mostly you see them as televangelists, but um, who were leading congregations, but yet they were living in sin. And hundreds of, if not thousands of people being led astray and, and being offended and, and turning away from God because of what one person would have done, was doing. Um, and, it's, and it's sad. But the, the inventory and the, the vice versa is that, you know, because of the sin of the people, the righteous are being affected. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, honestly. Sadly, how things have been constructed in our um, in our society, um, you know, things get coined like, uh, I'm just only going to talk about this briefly, but things get coined as like conspiracy theory, which interestingly enough, the CIA were the ones that came up with that term during the Kennedy assassination to dismiss people. But anyway, that's, we're not going to go into that. But anyway, um, but when you come up and you say, hey, the things that are happening right now, this is, I think this is because of God's judgment. Because he's, he's saying, turn to me. This is not the judgment of I'm looking to zap people and kill people and wag my finger. This is, hey, world. This is not just the United States, but United States, world, turn to me. Our whole world is shut down right now because of this virus that I believe is warfare, but um, whatever you believe is fine, and we're all entitled to our opinions. Um, and uh, the Lord will show you that I'm right eventually. But um, so, but we, the world is shut down. Um, we're having tornadoes. We're having massive storms. We're having floods. There's, there's pestilence. There's all these things that are happening around us. And how can we not look and say something's happening? You know, I had somebody at work say one time when this all started saying, you know, the master ain't happy. And, uh, and I said, you're absolutely right. The Lord's not happy. The Lord is not happy right now with what's going on. This should be turning us to him. This should be waking up the church and having us turn. You know, there, there shouldn't be just one Jeremiah who's in anguish seeing the nation. We should all be in anguish seeing what's going on. But instead, we're not. Instead, we're just, well, that's for them. You know, we're afraid of how we're going to look. We're afraid we're going to lose Facebook friends or we're not going to get the likes that we want, or all that kind of stuff that our society has come to where people are now having to be in therapy because they're not getting enough likes on their posts. Are you kidding me? Like, seriously? Seriously? I'm trying to have compassion right now. It's, it's, I'm losing compassion. Okay. I mean, that's how we've gotten. Isn't, is, this, is this not strange? Is this not strange? We are having to... 
people are documenting their entire lives for social media. What is the need for that? I, I, there's, a, there's a hole in the heart, I think, and in the spirit in those areas. And I think that, and, and we can look at the, the devastating things that are going on around, but looking at that, those kinds of things, there's, there's, there's a void in our society and there's voids in people's hearts. I mean, you know, uh, looking at, we can often look at this a, as a 30,000 30, foot view, right? Well, it's going on, it's not affected. I don't, I don't know if anybody here or online knows of anybody who has the virus or anybody who's died from it. So it's, if you haven't, it's not completely personal. It's annoying because we can't go get our hair did and we can't do all the things we want to do. And, you know, it's a, I mean, forget turning water into wine. Finding toilet paper is a miracle right now. So, I mean, things have kind of changed, but, um, but we can look at it from that 30,000 foot view of it's not really... It's not affecting me. It's bothering me, but it's not affecting me. Um, you know, I know people who have lost jobs because of it, unemployed, and, you know, it, it's a difficult time. This is not a time to um, to taking it lightly. And honestly, I've not heard of anybody losing their jobs. So, you know, um, I would say, and this is my encouragement to what we talked about earlier, like reach out. Let's, let's as brothers and sisters, let's talk. Um, it's not been passed to me that people have lost their jobs. It's been an inconvenience, but um, if you've lost your job, let me know so I can be praying for you, or maybe I can help. I don't know. We help each other. That's what we're here for. We're brothers and sisters. You know, I reach out for help for my brothers and sisters all the time, um, especially being relatively new to the area. You know, it's, that's what we're here for. So um, shame on you if you're not reaching out. Just saying. But taking this from a 30,000 foot view and maybe that's why God had Jeremiah go through this. This was personal. What Jeremiah was dealing with was personal. I mean, let's, I'm, I'm just going to read back through it real quick. Where Jeremiah's saying, he made me walk in darkness. He turned his hand against me, aged my flesh. That would kill society today, wouldn't it? If God was aging our flesh and we couldn't get to the, get Botox. Anyway, or the store to get our, our makeup. All right, I was going to go. Anyway, um, he says, he's broken my bones. He's besieged me, surrounded me, bitterness and woe. Set me in dark places like the dead. He, I can't get out. He's made my chain heavy. I cry out. My prayers aren't heard. He blocks my ways. My paths are crooked. I feel like there's a bear lying away. Think of the unsettledness of, of a bear lying. Can you imagine? Do you ever go walking in the woods and you're like, I, I haven't lately, but oh, there could be bears. There could be a bear. Like, what are you going to do? Seriously. I mean, I know what we say. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to first, I'm going to kick that bear and then I'm going to, you know, poke it in its eyes. I'm going to do a jujitsu move and then I'm going to pull out my knife. And no, you're going to soil yourself and then hopefully you'll know what to do after that. Like this is, can you imagine that fear? There is, this is, this is, I can't imagine the spirit that, that, that Jeremiah is living with. This is an unsettled. If you've ever been away from the peace of God, it is one of the scariest things in the world. That's what hell is, by the way. The peace of God removed. We have God's peace and spirit in our world right now. And this is how bad it is right now. Praise God we have his peace. When he removes that from this world, I can't imagine. I can't imagine living with 
with that lack of peace. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. He feels like a bear is lying in wait. A lion is waiting to ambush. I mean, that's scary. I don't know if you're watching those videos online, seeing those kinds of attacks. I mean, that's scary to be living with that feeling. He has turned aside my ways. He's torn me in pieces, made me desolate, set me up as a target for all of the arrows. He's pierced my loins. I'm ridiculed. They have a song that actually taunts me. <laughs> I mean, this is, I shouldn't laugh. That's bad. Filled, he filled me with bitterness, broken my teeth, covered with ashes, far from peace. He says, I've forgotten prosperity. prosperity. I don't even know what that is. He says, his strength and hope have perished from the Lord. I mean, this is, this is anguish that, that I don't know if we even can comprehend to this degree. But Spurgeon says this. He says, this seems to be the hardest part of our lot, that God should lead us into darkness. And again, going back through all those things that I just read. Yet, brethren, that is, on the other hand, the sweetest thing about our trial. Because if the darkness be in the place where God has led us, it is best for us to be in the dark. Let that soak in for a moment. And as we'll see as we continue to read, God led Jeremiah to this place. If God leads us to a place, then we know as believers, at least we'll give it lip service. We'll at least say it out loud to sound good. That, well, if that's where we're supposed to be and the will of God is where we're supposed to be. No place better. You know, if I'm called to, I don't know, think about a place where there's conflict. If I'm called to the Middle East to preach the gospel, which would seemingly be the most dangerous place for, or actually Africa right now, the, the, there's so many being persecuted. It's not on the news, but if you actually look at other sites and, and other news outlets, specifically Christian ones where there's several African nations where churches are daily being attacked. Christians are daily being killed. Children Women and children. I mean, it's, it's sickening. It's sad. Um, but if God has specifically called me there to a place of danger, then what do I have to fear? And my life is surrendered anyway, so it, my life is not mine, right? But it's the Lord's. These are all things that we can say and sound nice, but is our heart, just like we talked about with removing things from our lives, is our heart that, okay, Lord, your will be done. And do we truly mean that? Jeremiah is walking this out. Micah 7, 8 says, and this was always a favorite verse of mine, says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. See, at this point in Lamentations, if you are not a believer, a born-again believer, as talked about in John 3, if you are one who is religious but doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, haven't surrendered your life to him, this is kind of where your, your message stops. This is where this, you, you have nothing else to cling to beyond what we just read in our text. Because you don't have any solid or eternal hope. Because if you don't have God and your hope is not in God, then what is it in? In finances? Do you see the stock market? I mean, that if your hope is in, in the stock market, I'm, I'm really sorry for you. And that's a real, real pain and struggle right now for some. 
I get that. People's 401ks and, and retirement funds. Hey, brothers and sisters in the Lord, don't fret. The Lord knows. He knows every hair on your head. He takes care of the, the sparrows. Don't fret. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. But to those who don't know the Lord, what is your hope in? The stability of, of our country? A president? Peace in the land? Walmart? Like what, and I, I ask that seriously. Think about like what, where is your peace coming from? And I can tell you, and I'm not mocking you and I'm not putting it in any kind of way, but your peace is going to be on sandy ground. And the waves are going to come and they're going to etch away at the foundation of your peace. And it's not going to be stable. You are not going to be able to, to have anything that you can say with confidence and assurance that your peace is secure. But for the believers, for us who are born again, for us who love God and are um, living by the Spirit, not of the flesh, um, we have a living hope, right? We have a living hope that is undefiled, that does not fade away. You know, that's what the Lord told us about. We, we are ones who are founded on the rock. Um, and, and thankfully, it's the rock of our salvation. Um, and so with that, we go back to our text because this is where Jeremiah... I'm not going to say he's done crying, but this is where he is, is bringing back the hope of his calling. So we see in verse 20, he says, My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mine. Therefore, I have hope. One thing to notice here, and it's important, is that um, Jeremiah is taking action. He's not taking action against people or toward people. He's not taking any action other than to himself. He's not being passive, but he's bringing to memory what? What is he bringing to memory that's giving him hope? The truth of what he knows about the Lord God. This is so important that we, no matter how deep we get, and the Lord allows us to have our um, I was going to say pity parties, but that's, that's not kind. But he allows us to have our times of, of struggle and our times of crying and weeping. But there has to come to a point where we stop that. Because it's so easy for, for some, and it's, sometimes it's just the wiring, how people are wired, that they are very self-reflective, that they can't think about anybody else but themselves. And it's not to their... You know, it's not intentional, but um, when they're going through a trial, it's hard to think about anything else. But you have to take that proactive stance that, you know, I can't allow myself to sit there and wallow for until something changes. We've got to make that change. So when we're in those seasons of, of struggle and of burden that we can look back and say, wait, wait a minute, I've got hope. And what is my hope? And this is what Jeremiah is doing. He's going back and looking at and being reminded of the truth of God. That's why it's so important we do what we do in the word of God, to be reminded of what, who God is and his heart and his character. And we can also combat the things that we hear or the, the things that the enemy is whispering in our ear and saying, no, that's not of God. Because God does not, is not a God of condemnation. 
when we hear the things of our past being brought back up or we're, we're being, um, thoughts are being um, ridiculed. Psalmist says this in Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen: I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 43, 3 through 5 says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, of my, uh, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I have yet praise him, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. It's interesting too in Psalm 103 where he says, it's the first couple of verses, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, and verse two, he says, and forget not his benefits. It's interesting if you, the, if you read all of chapter 102, Psalm 102, it is pretty much the psalmist paralleling basically what we read in Lamentations so far. The anguish, you know, we know David went through a lot of anguish um, and sorrow and there's a lot of Psalms in that way. But just like Jeremiah saying, wait a minute, you know, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. David does that throughout the Psalms, but Psalm 102 and then into 103, wait, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. He's talking to himself. He's taking that action to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to be reminded of the goodness of God. I'm going to be reminded of who God is and what he's done and what he's capable of doing. And I know the things that he will be doing. Hosea 10, 12 says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow, fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. See, the danger for us is, and it was this danger of the Israelites, is what happened to them in the wilderness, right? They got out. They were taken out of slavery. They were freed. Um, pretty much right away, they started complaining, you know, Moses, you brought us out here to die. As the armies were coming, they were up against the Red Sea. And God's like, come on, this is, you know, hard to see. They went through. This is nothing to God. But as they were wandering and the, 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 the misery and the bitterness was starting to well up and the tiredness and the complaining and, you know, all those things that, were, that we know about. Um, but why were they complaining? And even more so, why were they not allowed to go into the promised land? Well, it was because of their lack of faith. You know, God told them what they would do. He told them he would bring them into the promised land. I mean, they got to the point where they were longing to be back into slavery. I pray that none of us would ever long to go back to our old lives. You know, as you guys know, I worked in addictions ministry for 10 years. And there were so many people who would say, I can't imagine going back. I don't ever want to go back. But yet there were some that felt comfort in the discomfort because they knew that. They almost, it's almost they like found their peace in the, the chaos and the, the darkness because it was familiar. Faith is not an easy thing. I mean, we know that. But faith comes from God. He only asks us to have a little bit of a mustard seed. He does the rest. I'm, I always, Lord, increase my faith. You know, I, I, 
in areas where I'm weak, reveal them to me. Or areas that I know I'm weak, Lord, please increase my faith there. But that lack of faith, and this is why it's always important for us to re- be checking our armor to see where there's any chinks, any holes, anything that's rusted. And, because it happens so easily. And sometimes it happens so gradually that it's that we're in the distance and realizing, oh my goodness, I'm so far from God. I'm so far from where I was. So far from the, the, the standards that I held in the Lord. I started becoming religious and trusting in self and living law versus the, the relationship aspect of it. But this is what Jeremiah, Jeremiah remembers in verse 22. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his fa- compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We, we know that hymn that um, many of us sung in churches um, growing up and even maybe to this day for some who are, are listening. Great is your faithfulness. Um, but you think about the mercy that we are given is that we are not getting what we deserve. I mean, if you want to take it to the core concept of our faith, if you are saying, I can't see any goodness, I can't, you know, everything's falling down around me, um, I'm, and, and listing out all of your woes. And again, I'm not dismissing it. My, uh, I, this is just how I sound. I don't mean to sound dismissive, but I'm not dismissing it. But it is a real thing, and it is a, a personal thing, and I do not dismiss it whatsoever. But don't tell me you don't have anything to be grateful for. Don't tell me you don't have anything to rejoice in. If there's one thing that you can rejoice in is the fact, if you claim to be a born-again believer, is the fact that God saved you and you are not getting the hell that you deserve. Praise God. I mean, we could just stop there. But is that enough for us? Sometimes it's so hard to see because of what's going on around us and we feel the darkness. It's hard for us to even see that little glimmer of light. But remember... Where there's even a hint of light, then there's not complete darkness. Sometimes we have to go to that one base point, that one base fact of God, and start there. You know, thank you, Lord, that you, you did save me. I'm not getting the hell that I deserve. Oh, I wouldn't want to live in that hell. Lord, and you have given me peace, and I don't want my peace to be circumstantial or based on people. Lord, I want my peace to be in you. You know, you start that dialogue with the Lord, and he starts reviving your spirit and your heart. The Lord's mercies are innumerable. I mean, if you, have, if you get to a point where you are stopping your list of the mercies of God in your life, um, sorry, filtering, uh, you, you, you need to reexamine your life because his mercies are innumerable. I bet you we could, and I know it would be tedious and laborious and nobody would want to do that, especially with me standing here. But I bet you we could personally sit for hours and still not be done if we went through all the, how the Lord was so merciful to us through our lives. You know, we often will pray or think about the big chunks of our lives. You know, I remember when I was a teen and I did X, Y, and Z. And, you know, and then in my 20s, oh boy. You know, but when you bring it back to specific moments in time, you know, I, I remember specifically my, as a teenager, areas where my testimony could be radically different and, and not in a great way. 
um, if I would, I might not even be alive. Where I remember the Holy Spirit as I was going off, him just being like, nope, I'm putting a barrier here, Bill. And you know, he, and that was out of his grace, his mercy for me because my, I desired to do that. And sometimes he'll allow us, oftentimes he'll allow us to walk out our wills to bring us to the end of ourselves. But I know there's specific times where the Lord just kind of tapped me and be like, mm, we're going to put a, you know, a, a train track arm down there. So you just keep going the other direction, you know, and I pray this for my sons too, you know, um, the only thing we can control is ourselves and we have a hard time doing that, right? But to be able to um, be uh, in that place of just taking inventory of the mercies of God that are innumerable. And the blessing is, is that not only does mercies don't fail, they're new every morning. You know, it's not like we exhaust it. Like by the end of the day, God's like, come on, Bill. Like, seriously, I got, I got to deal with all these other people too. You're really wearing me out. You know, it, it, I, we don't exhaust God. But the blessing is that freshness, that newness in the morning that comes from the Lord. I mean, that excites me. I don't know about you, but to me, that's, that's exciting. Psalm 30, uh, verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I would encourage you to each morning have that as your mindset. Okay, I'm going to start this off fresh and new in the joy of the Lord. Don't bring yesterday's garbage and yesterday's baggage into the next morning. You might still have to deal with some of that stuff. Do it prayerfully. Do it in, in faith. Get your armor on. Get your, your spirit prepped. Lord, give me wisdom. Strengthen me. Help me. And then tackle it that day. But, but don't bring the, the Eeyore from the day before into the next morning. So then you're waking up and saying, um, thank you, Lord, for another day. You know, I challenge you. Because even if we're not doing that outwardly and verbally, I think sometimes our spirits can be like that. Um, and you know, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, anything that we need, God has waiting for us, ready to give us without any restrictions. He wants to pour these things out upon us. So in our time of need, cry out to the Lord and he might supply. And I encourage you to go to him first. He, he might supply without any other interference or any other um, workings. Or he might say, hey, call this person. Go visit this person. Go do this. Do you know, to have that kind of life where we might just say, Lord, you know, plot my steps. But he has all those things waiting for us and he desires to, to do that in us. Um, and I encourage you, if you're, you know, somebody who's watching or listening or even in this room here, you, you know, who struggles with depression and anxiety, um, very uh, swayed by the things that go on around you, um, even suicidal, you know, there's, uh, there's believers who are suicidal and I don't judge them at all. Um, <clears throat> but I would encourage you, you and remind you that you have hope. You should be reminding yourself that there is hope. Um, and then you should be clinging to that. So the blessing is, is that, you know, his mercies are new every morning. And that's a, that's a great exercise daily to, to be meditating on God's faithfulness and the faithfulness in his life. Um, so let's continue on. Verse 24 
Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And that word hold fast means to keep secure or to keep firm possession of. You know, we can have that firm possession of our hope because it doesn't waver in God. I, you know, I'm so thankful when you, when you look at other quote-unquote religions or cults or whatever, they don't have the security that we have, you know. Obviously because they're believing in a false faith, a false God. But what a blessing it is that God the Father, the Creator, gives us security in Him. You know, we're not a kid who's, who's wondering at every moment, it was, does my dad love me? You know, or is he going to beat me? Is he going to judge me? Is he going to come down on me because of, you know, whatever? You know, the heart of God is love. And what a blessing is that we have that hope. First Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How great a hope do we have? And God says, these are all the things I have for you. But he says, this is all kept by the power of God through our faith. So even all these things, it's, it's, he has us secured in him, in his hands. All we have to have is just that little bit of faith to believe it. I mean, this is, it doesn't get much easier than this and, and, and simplistic. And yet we will never get to the end of getting to know God and, and, and digging deeper and going deeper with him. So the question is, is the Lord your portion or does he satisfy your soul? Um, Jeremiah's hope is because he lives and believes that the Lord is his portion. This is why he's gotten to this point. Because of his belief in the character of God and who he is, that he's able to get to this point to be rejoicing in such dark times. Verse 28 says, Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show his compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And it's interesting, but be mindful of that the Lord does allow these things to happen. But there's purpose in it. Verse 33 says, For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. So we have to look at this and say, then why? What is the purpose? When you're going through these times, okay, Lord, why? Is it because you're exacting justice right now? Is it because you're correcting me, chastising me? But ultimately, we've got to understand it's because he loves us. We know this verse in Hebrews 12, 7 says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? God's love is what chastens us because he desires for us to to walk 
in holiness and with him. Verse 34, to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a, a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? You know, people often will forget their sin and then say the woe is me, or forget why they're in a situation, you know, like the, the children of Israel. You know, Jeremiah and the people very well know why they're in the position they're in. God made it clear, and he, he pleaded with them several times to turn from their wicked ways. Verse 4, he says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. The importance of examining our ways, and we've already talked about that. But this should be whether we're living in prosperity or we're living in, in the trials and the tribulation that we seemingly are in now. You know, I think it's a daily examination that we need to do. Paul talks about this frequently, right? Examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to see if our work is pure, to see if our, you know, our motives of our actions are right. You know, examining ourselves before we take communion. Um, we should be continually taking inventory of ourselves, of our thoughts, our words, our actions. Um, this is important. And we should do it because Ephesians 5.10 tells us um, that we need to find out what is acceptable to God. I mean, that's the most important part of it. You know, if we're not doing what is acceptable to God, then what are we doing? It becomes religion. You know, and Isaiah talked about um, God talking about, and I think it was 57, chapter 57, where he's saying about, you know, you've, you've, you're having a fast, but that's not one I've called. I've been called for this fast because your lives aren't even living rightly. That's a gross paraphrase of the entire chapter. But there you go. Point being that we need to find out what is acceptable to God. I'm sorry, I need to. Because otherwise then it just becomes religion and it becomes self-motivated. Um, it's interesting, one pastor I heard say that, you know, the Old Testament, Old Testament talks more about turning back or returning to God than does about the initial turning to God. Why? Because he knows, we, he knows our frame. He knows our proclivity is to, to wander. Our minds, our, our, our thoughts, our, our motives, all those things. Verse 42 says, We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not pardoned. Um, but you know why he hasn't pardoned? Because they haven't repented. As we know, the heart of God is to forgive those who come in, in true repentance. But there is no pardoning for a sin that is not repented of. It's available. It's there for the taking. But there has to be that repentance, that turning. Uh, and he says in verse 49, my eyes, my eyes flow and do not cease without interruption. Um, verse 55, and we're getting to the end here. He says, you know, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from me, um, from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. So, as we look at this as a nation, you know, this is something that, and we talked about earlier on, but when 9-11 occurred, you know, churches got very full. 
to overflowing um, because of fear. Um, some thinking it was God's judgment, but you know, for whatever reason, the motives of the heart for people to be seeking God to some degree um, was because of, of something that happened outwardly. Um, and, you know, that during that time, people got more serious about their, their walk. They got more serious about their relationship with God. They got more serious about seeking. They got more serious and poignant with their prayers. Um, and their faith got more serious. So, you know, but as was with that 9-11, we'll call it revival, because there was a revival, there was also a falling away. Because once things start to level off and seem normalized, then, you know, the guard goes down and say, oh, you know, I can go back to compartmentalizing. You start not seeing the same faces in church anymore. Um, you see that change kind of going back. Um, but right now we've got, we're living in a pandemic, like we said, there's floods, there's earthquakes. You know, I don't know if you guys know about the locust infestation in, in Africa that's going on. It's insane. I mean, it's, I hate to use a phrase that you usually see in the movies, but it's, it's of biblical proportions. I mean, some of these pictures and videos of these locusts, it's crazy. And this is going to be bringing, I mean, who knows what they're, how they get these projections, but hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of people will die because of the famine, because of the the food supply being eaten up because of what's going on. Um, you know, this is what we are we're living through right now that almost seems odd, you know, almost seems like a, t- a movie. But this is what we're living in. Um, and as, as a, a student of the Bible, you know, um, Jesus talked about this. And I truly believe that this is, this is something that we need to take seriously. Um, in Matthew 24, uh, starting in verse 3, um, it says, Now, he, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's Jesus, the di- disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to, tri- up to the tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then to the end will come. Um, I I believe we're seeing this to to a degree. Um, And my question is to you, brothers and sisters, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you longing for it? I remember parts of my life where <clears throat> I didn't want the Lord to come because I was enjoying life. <laughs> and that kind of shows you the seriousness of my, my walk and my relationship and my faith in God. But it's hard to deny what we're seeing right now. Um, and really, you know, 
the Lord gives us that warning. And we see in Matthew 25 too, he talks about the 10 virgins. Five were ready, five were not. And when the Lord came, you know, the ones who were not ready were, were panicked. Um, and and they, were, they were not diligent and vigilant in waiting for the master's return. Um, they weren't prepared. And I think we, this is a time now for us to be prepared. This is a serious time. Um, and to be prayerful of what that looks like and what that is. Uh, <laughs> we just had a car go by with massive bass and shook the, the place. Maybe that was God. Maybe I didn't hear a trumpet. Never mind. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the the seriousness of our time is something that we really need to, to look at and to... Um, I'm not saying unless the Lord's calling you to be a street preacher proclaiming to, uh, in a loud voice, the, the kingdom is near. But this should be making us more solemn and serious about our loved ones, praying for them who don't know the Lord, for neighbors and friends. I mean, we all have them. And to, to walk out our faith so that people can see God before they hear it from our mouths. I mean, this is the importance of importance of it. In Second Chronicles seven thirteen through 14, it says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Don't forget, will is a definitive word. It's not a maybe. It's if then. If you do this, then this will happen. I will do this. We're in a time now where as much as I would love for the Lord to come, I have loved ones I'm praying for that don't know the Lord. So I'm saying, please, Lord, just wait. But our prayer should be because of not only the personal people in our lives, but for our nation. Lord, heal our land. We need to stand up in our lives in the realm of influence that we have and stand up for what is right. Stand up for the things of God in faith, not in religion and in faith. We need to be asking for forgiveness. We need to be seeking God. So in that for brothers and sisters, we need to not only on a personal level, but together as a family, we need to examine ourselves. Examine our part also in this body of Christ in, in Calvary Chapel, Greenville. Are we doing what we should be doing? Are we using our gifts? Are we, are we reaching the lost? Are we are in our own enclave and cloistered away? Or are we looking to, to minister to this area and to wherever we can have a realm of influence? But that's because we have a living hope. Our hope is firmly planted in God. But here, my encouragement to those who may be listening um, who have stumbled across this website and who don't know God, or maybe you do come to a church and you have not really surrendered in, to God. Um, you already know by listening, just by the facts. If you looked at this as just factual information, you have no hope. You have nothing that you can cling to that would give you an everlasting hope. But as we've gone through and as you've seen and, and heard, there is hope out there. And this hope is in 
in Jesus Christ. And if right now you have a tugging on your heart, you've been listening and you, you've been examining and you've been contemplating and, and there's, it's not a mistake that you've been brought here at this time to be hearing this message, um, that you can have hope. And that tugging, that unease in your, in your chest, in your spirit is God knocking at the door of your heart and wanting to, wanting to have fellowship with you. Um, so why not take this time to then surrender to God? You know, there's, there's, there's nothing that you are going to be losing, but you're going to be gaining uh, so much more uh, by doing that. Um, to be counted as, as one of the brothers and sisters who will be with God in, in heaven, in paradise. Um, and here's the simplicity of the gospel. So I'm just going to run through it real quickly. Um, and for those who know the Lord, now let's be praying for those who might be having ears that are hearing right now that are, are on the, the cusp of, of surrendering to God. But here's the gospel, and we'll pop up some of these verses, but the basics is that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, that no one is, is righteous and as good in their own self. God's glory is here, and even our best gets us woefully short of that. The Bible tells us that there is no one who seeks God or does good and that our hearts are desperately wicked um, and that our sin is what separates us from God and our sin has hidden us from him. So there needs to be a payment of that sin and that sin um, as of for anybody who doesn't know God is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But thankfully, as we talk about as we, and we, we celebrate here, that that payment for that sin debt was the gift given by God. We didn't earn it. We didn't have to do anything but just accept it. And it was that gift of what Jesus did on the cross that we just celebrated. The world celebrated calling it Easter. We call it Resurrection Day. Um, but the, Jesus dying on Good Friday, um, when he said on the cross, it is finished, it was done. The payment was made. Praise God, the payment was made. There is no longer a debt for us, for our sin. All of the creditors were paid. No more bills coming in the mail for our sin. It was done. It was finished. It was paid in full. And in that, that time, there was a separation between God and man. Then in the temple, there was a veil that you couldn't go into the, God's presence. And God tore the veil from top to bottom so that we could come and have fellowship with him. And that's the gift of salvation. And the Lord says that we are given that full access, that gift of salvation. And the only, what, all we need to do is that we just call upon the Lord. Romans 10, 13 tells us that if we call upon the Lord, we shall be saved. Shall and will are interchangeable. You call upon him, you will be saved. It is a definitive. It's not a maybe. It's not a kind of hopefully, ooh, let's roll the dice. It's, it's a... It's a shall be. It's a, it's a definitive action that will happen. So that's the simplicity of the gospel. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more simpler than that. Um, and that to accept that gift, all you need to do is pray. And just like the, the simplicity of it, the prayer is simplistic too. Um, so what I want to do right now is just let us pray. Um, and if you are one who is who is feeling that tugging, you, you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you don't even fully know what it means, no one fully knows what it means. You learn and grow in that relationship. 
Um, we don't want your money. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for anything. We just desire to see you to know the peace and the love of God um, be real in your life. So if you are desiring to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then just pray this prayer with me. Um, you can just repeat after me. Again, you know, Romans uh, 10, 9, 10 says that it's, um, it's not the words that saves us, um, but it's the genuine intent of our heart as you pray. I mean, that's, that's what really is the, the essence of our walk. It's that genuineness of our relationship with God because um, he hears the intent of your heart. So um, if you want to pray along with me um, to accept the Lord and just repeat after me, Dear Lord, in the understanding of my depravity and sin, um, I humbly call out to you to forgive my sin, to wash me from the inside out. Thank you for paying the price for my sin that I could not pay. I invite you into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might see and hear and desire your ways for my life. Please help me to grow in my faith and my trust and my knowledge of you as my relationship with you grows. I come to you asking for you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer, the first thing I would say to do is tell somebody, share it with somebody. Um, If you do go to this church, share it with the body. Um, if you are at home, share it with somebody who's at home. They might think you're a little weird or get freaked out, but hey, we are a little weird and we are a little freaky at times. <laughs> but tell somebody, reach out to us at the church. Let us know um, that you accepted the Lord. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to um, give you a Bible. We'd love to um, disciple you and, and, and help you to, in your walk. Um, God's given us people for a reason, and that's for us to be able to, what the Bible says, iron sharpening iron. We can make each other better um, and grow together. Um, and, and make sure you're getting in the Word. You know, get a Bible, get in the Word of God. Um, and so find yourself a church home that believes in the Bible and teaches the Bible. Again, this is a great place, but if you're not anywhere near um, Traveler's Rest in Greenville, New, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, then find a place. Um, and there's many Calvary chapels throughout. Not that that's the only church, but it's a good church. But uh, there's many uh, churches out there that you could become part of that fellowship. You are not to be an island. You're not to be solo. You are to be in a body so that we can bless you and you can bless us and we can be a family. So in that, why don't we close in prayer for for this teaching and for this for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the goodness of you, Lord. Um, we've all gone through hard times, Lord. Some of us have gone through some desperate times and trials and tribulations. Some have gone through destruction. Some have gone through the pains of, of death of loved ones, Lord, of divorce, of addiction, um, of unemployment, Lord, of, of financial ruin, Um, Lord, but yet you stay the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that even in all those things, as we cry, Lord, that you you have our tears kept in a jar. 
Lord, that you're not far off from us. Lord, that you hear our cries and that you are listening and that there's purpose in all that you allow us to go through, Lord. But the reminder is that you are with us. We are not alone, Lord. So Lord, I pray if there's anybody who is struggling with sin, Lord, that is keeping us a distance from you, Lord, that is, that is keeping us from hearing you clearly and seeing you, Lord, I pray that you would give us and those who are struggling in those areas, Lord, that, that desire to give up that sin, Lord, to reach out to you and say, God, please change my desire from sin to holiness. Lord, we can't do it without you. We know that that only comes from you. So Lord, I pray for those brothers and sisters who are struggling in sin, Lord. And I pray for those who are struggling in general. Maybe the, the solitude is just driving them crazy, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would remind them to reach out. It's so easy to become self-pitied and say, well, nobody's reaching out to me or the church seems cold or nobody loves me. But you know what? Then take that stance, just like Jeremiah and just like David did and said, spoke to themselves to change what was going on, to bring to remembrance the hope of God, to bring to remembrance the things that God's done. You can also take that action to reach out to people and to say, I'm hurting or I need fellowship. But most importantly, that we would take that time and instead of be looking at ourselves to be rejoicing in God and what he's done for us, to be lifting our hands in praise and worship to God as a sweet aroma to his throne. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercies and that your compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Oh, praise God. Praise you, God. Thank you so much. I pray that our mouths will not cease in praising you and worshiping you. So, Lord, I pray that you fill each one of us afresh and new of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go on with our day, Lord, that this would not simmer and, and settle, Lord, but we would be walking with a song of worship in our hearts, that we would be continuing, Lord, to, to bless those around us in, in love of you, Lord, that we would walk in joy, that the world would see that we have joy even in the time of trials and tribulations because the joy of you, Lord, is our strength. Therefore, we rejoice. And you tell us to rejoice always, not when it's convenient, not when it's in the good times. Rejoice always. So Lord, we will be a people that we will rejoice always. And again, we will rejoice because you have given a song in our hearts. You've given us a new song, Lord, and you are alive in our lives. We are your children. You are our God, our Father, and you love us. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. So we come holy, humbly, Lord, but boldly before your throne. In the name of Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come, Lord, we praise you. We pray this in, in his name. Amen. I pray that you guys have a great week. Um, again, reach out. I can't say enough. Reach out if you need fellowship, if you need help, um, if you need prayer. Um, and Lord, we love you. And uh, pray that you have a great week.